Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It's Friday, August 4th, 2023. I am your host, Matt Norton, back Adam for our first episode, aside from interviews, in a month with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, welcome back, buddy. What is going on? Matt A. God, it's good to be back. Um, Nothing's changed too much. Just something extremely, extremely major. You're engaged, dude. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that we both saw Oppenheimer. Um, (laughs) Yes. Thank you. I am. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, it was great. Europe was amazing. Uh, Absolutely loved it like everything that I got to do, getting engaged was sweet. Going to Munich was awesome. Uh, Vienna was incredible. Zurich was great. Um, if you ever have the chance to go to any of those, any of those, uh, cities or anywhere around there, email me at planettodaypod at gmail.com. If you want to ask like, Hey, what kind of hike did you do? Where are some fun food spots you went to? Um, amazing time. I missed my cats. Um, we're all good. We're all good here. Nice, dude. Great to hear. And uh, what did you like better, just uh, as a sidebar, getting engaged or Oppenheimer? Let's get into the show. (laughs) (laughs) Getting engaged. Time for our quick hits for the week. The first one is by Raymond Zhang of the New York Times, who writes, this looks like Earth's warmest month. Hotter ones appear to be in store. So to put it mildly, July was an absolute scorcher. Um, Unfortunately, like no other way to put it. It was really hot. You know, we saw Arizona experience 110 degree Fahrenheit weather for 31 straight days and counting. Uh, July was a lot. July 6th was the hottest day recorded on this planet since recording began in 1850. And it's looking more and more like 2023 is going to beat 2016's title for hottest year on record. Because of increasing temperatures due to climate change and the El Nino climate pattern, it's likely that we're going to see a heat wave that extends beyond 2023, which Nick and I are going to cover in a bit more detail on this upcoming Monday's mini-sode. Global air temperatures have been rising steadily, and so have the ocean temperatures. In the North Atlantic Ocean specifically, a record high was set on July 29th when the ocean reached 24.9 degrees Celsius or 76.8 degrees Fahrenheit, which is crazy for this time of the year. This is dangerous for marine life, decreases the ocean's ability to sequester carbon, and increases the likelihood and impact of tropical storms. Scientists have said that these heat waves would be virtually impossible without climate change. And that's a really important note to make here is that, yes, the Earth goes through cycles of warming and cooling. Yes, we've seen ice ages. We've seen very hot periods of time. What we haven't seen is this tremendous amount of heat because of increasing greenhouse gas emissions that were caused by humans. So at, at some point, and I think some point came about 30, 40 years ago was the right time to say, this is because of us. Let's do something about it. 
Fortunately, it's not too late, but it is getting much harder the longer that we as a global community decide to to do something about this. So the things that I want to bring up here specifically, uh, first one, heat stress. Heat is one of those almost silent killers, right? Like you don't think about extreme heat as something that's going to cause a lot of deaths, but it is, you know, especially in areas where it's tough to get clean drinking water or it's tough to find cooling centers or people are not as well off and they can't afford to run their air conditioner when it's 100, 110 degrees outside. Heat stress is already a problem, especially in a lot of urban areas where there aren't as many trees, there's not as much shade, um, there's not as much natural wind because you're just surrounded by concrete and metal instead of being near a river, near the ocean. Yeah, Heat stress is one of those issues that we're just going to keep hearing more and more about. And that's not to say like it's not an issue already or it hasn't been an issue in the past because it has been and it is. But as the climate continues to warm, heat stress is going to become more and more of a prevalent issue. The next thing I want to bring up is, is just the food chains. You know, Nick mentioned how warming oceans is, is dangerous to marine life, but let's expand that a bit. You know, you, you talk about certain animals that need whatever temperature water to survive comfortably. They have two options, right? They go north or they go south or it's colder mm. or they die. What about the animals that eat them? And what about the fish that eat those? And then the birds that come in and eat those fish. And all of this starts to cascade up the food chain until eventually the fish that we eat aren't as in high of numbers as they are right now. And then you're looking at, hey, humans, you can't eat salmon from Seattle for the next year because we need the population to replenish. Yeah. Except that starts to happen with more and more food or that starts to happen with more and more grain that, that can't grow in areas where traditionally we've grown wheat forever. So- the way that climate change is impacting the food chains is something that, you know, it's not just a problem for polar bears where you look and see them out on, on melting ice, where that's sad, where that's very upsetting to know that a species is on the brink of extinction. It, it impacts us, right? It impacts what we eat, what we drink. And it's not something we can just turn a blind eye on. Yeah. And the third thing I wanted to bring up is climate migration, climate refugees. We are going to be experiencing people who, who can't grow food where they have grown food for centuries, people who can't live where they have lived for decades because now their house is underwater. So what do those people do? They have to leave. They have to find a new place to go. Where do they go? That is an answer that, that Nick and I don't have today yeah. because it's going to turn into a major political issue for, okay, how many refugees do you take? Does everyone take an equal amount or should it be the U.S., China, UK, those countries that are more responsible for climate change, do they take more? Okay, but what about the UK where, you know, they don't have as much space as the US because it's a smaller country. All of these things are going to be major talking points on the international stage as climate refugees, again, become more and more prevalent, which, like I said, with with heat stress, it's not to say that it's not already an issue because it is. Yeah. But it's going to become more of an issue. And these are all things that we need to be aware of. These are things we need to be talking about. These are things we need to be planning for as a result of climate change and El Nino and everything we have just covered in the last five minutes. Yeah, all great points. The thing I want to expand on a little more is what you said about like food chains and how it affects that. Mm-hmm. 
it's not just about they always say in in winemaking it the grape touches a hundred people's hands before it gets into a bottle and then you know you pick it up and and you you taste it it's the same thing with these food chains okay the salmon population in seattle goes down okay well now these guys who go out and fish for them every day don't have work mm-hmm. and now you know the people who pack it you know at the stores they don't have jobs so like it's just it's a it's a crazy compounding effect that heat can have on on wildlife initially and you know the the food that we eat initially but then us because of these factors so yeah we're all so connected you know you you think about the butterfly effect where like one little thing just cascades and eventually like you said touches a hundred different people before we really feel the impact that's that's sort of where we're at right now you know that, that first domino yeah it's falling and we have the opportunity to put our hand in there and pick that domino back up or at the very least stop the second or third domino from falling if we can't reverse the impacts of that first domino. But right. we need to stop before this spirals out of control. And, and that's the important thing. That's the frustrating thing about being you know, involved as, as a climate activist, as an environmentalist. You're unfortunately very aware of these things and- yeah. You know, it's not too late to act, but damn, it's getting a lot harder to act. Yeah, no question. All right, let's get into our next story from the BBC, and it's titled Even Cacti Struggle Under Extreme Weather. So, sticking with the heat theme for today's episode, this story is pretty quick. So, we're going to summarize it and then get into some additional context. So, Arizona has been experiencing roughly a full month of temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which is causing cacti to lose their limbs, collapse, and change shape. Cacti are drought resistant, but Arizona's desert has seen virtually no rain this year. It's really difficult to retain water if there's no water to be retained, obviously. A few of the things about cacti that make them ideal for growing in deserts are their shallow roots to absorb surface water, waxy skin layer that prevents evaporation, and spines that can deflect heat and also reduce sun exposure. So at risk of being very repetitive, you know, we, we talked about a lot of the issues with heat stress and how it impacts people in this in that last story. Um, let's just kind of break this down and say if cacti are not dealing well with the drought, imagine people, animals or other non drought resistant plants, like how they are doing answer. Probably not well. Yeah. So what I do want to get into is really just our relationship with water usage And I'm coming at this as an American in the Northeast. My perspective may be very different than other Americans, maybe very different than people around the world. But I feel like water is always something that we've been lucky enough to be able to almost take for granted. Yeah. Where you turn on the sink and you have drinkable water. And that's not the case for some people in, in other parts of the U.S. or other parts of the world. But what gets me is Phoenix, Arizona which is a desert, you know, there are golf courses there which take Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of water usage. There's lawns there which take a tremendous amount of water usage. So at what point do we as a society kind of say, hey, people of Arizona, I know that golf has become an important hobby, but we can't do it here anymore. You know, you have to choose between drinking water and a golf course. And I, I bet most people are going to say, 
yeah, I, w- I want to be able to drink water from my faucet. I want to be able to yeah. boil water on my stove. Cook food. Basics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm in cl- complete agreement with you. And I saw this thing go viral on Twitter about like um, someone was saying like, oh, we need to change our golf courses into like housing or something like that. And I was like, ah, like, I get it. But also it's still a sport that people like to do. So like, why don't we just make a material and I'm sure it's already out there or a surface that mimics um, the feel of fairway and the feel of green, whatever, so that you could still play on it. It just doesn't need to be watered, you know, a hundred thousand gallons a day or, you know, 500,000 gallons a day, whatever it is. So I'm in complete agreement with you here. Uh, Golf course water usage is insane. Like, yeah, absolutely insane, especially in a place like Phoenix where you're getting low temperatures at night in the summer to be a hundred degrees. Like no lie. Yeah. And, and I, I guess like the water usage part is a good point with golf courses. Cause like we get enough rain here in the Northeast where does it need to get watered every day? Probably not. I'm going to go as far as to say, no, it doesn't. I know golf courses in, in New York, they're watering their fairways every single day. You know, they're making sure that it's pristine every day. We probably don't need to, you know, but in Phoenix they do need to, or else the grass is going to burn up and, and die. So yeah, I mean, to to look at the water usage while people are experiencing extreme heat, that's really frustrating for me. Um, you are going to be kicking yourself when I remind you of a material called turf. Well, that is here's often the thing. used to mimic grass. No, but like, I understand what you're saying, but like, I think, I think sometimes you need like that feel. Like, turf doesn't have like a feel. It's just like... I don't know. I can't describe it, but it's, it's not the same. Oh, as, you're talking like putting greens and fairways where it's got to be like. Exactly. Tight. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, okay. I just, I think you still need some, some rough, so to speak. Also side tangent. I am very anti-turf. So, uh, I'm glad <laughs> that's not where your head was going. Turf, turf also gets way too hot. You know, it's going to absorb yes. all that heat. Um, those rubber pellets and the, the plastic blades that are used to make turf. Those are all carcinogens. I forget when we did the story. Maybe it was last yes, fall, but like turf is really bad. And if you are listening and you're like, hey, I am on my city council. We have a park that is being proposed. Um, push for grass. If you are a principal at a high school or an athletic director and you're listening to this, push for grass. It's going to be a lot better for your athletes. It's going to be a lot better for your students. It's going to be a lot better for people in general. So down, down with turf. Yeah, got to avoid those non-contact injuries as much as you can. So, 100%. 100%. All right, time for this week's environmental policy roundup. President Biden announced protections for extreme heat for communities, acknowledging the 600 people who die in America from extreme heat every single year. The Department of Labor also announced more frequent inspections in the agriculture and construction sectors where workers are more at risk to heat-related illnesses. Climate activists have combated these measures by calling them incremental when the heat we are facing could warrant using emergency powers for bolder climate action. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz called Germany's increased coal and oil usage a temporary response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He added that the country still plans to do everything it can to fight climate change, despite reopening 11 of the 16 fossil fuel power plants that had previously been decommissioned. An additional 11 power plants have had their operating permissions extended. German environmentalists said that much more can be done, including imposing speed limits, restricting domestic flights, and extending the operating life for Germany's nuclear plants. 
I think the thing I struggle with with both of these stories is I side with the environmentalists in both cases where like, yes, more could be done. Yes, more should be done. I don't think that the answer is like, God, this has so much nuance because like I don't I don't think the answer is saying, no, we shouldn't do this. We should do more. I think the answer should be we should do what is being proposed and we should do more. And unfortunately, that's where it goes to President Biden and Chancellor Schultz, where it's like. They are both going to say, oh, look how much I did for, you know, new protections for extreme heat or calling this uh, temporary and still fighting climate change. It's it's not something where the two sides are going to be able to agree where like, yes, they're doing something and that's good and that's not something we should take away. But also environmentalists are right. We should be doing more. And I think oftentimes you run into this imbalance where instead of both sides being like, okay, I see it. It's like, well, no, I shouldn't do more. I did all this or you haven't done enough. Like, yeah, two things can be true at once. And unfortunately, in the the national politics stage, when it comes to environmental activism, I I often don't see that discourse. And, and it's probably because environmentalists are right. More needs to be done and more probably won't get done for a little bit because of these smaller things that just got announced or passed or whatever it is. Right. They hang on to those things for for so long and use them as like, you know, campaign points like, oh, we got this done or oh, we got that done. And in reality, it's just it's still not enough. And at the end of the day, we still have people like we just talked about in Phoenix who who are not going to have water, you know, in the coming years. So uh, a lot more needs to be done for sure. So as always, those stories are in your show notes if you want to read for more detail. And we're going to take a quick break. And then we have two more stories for you when we get back. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, banning these five things would reduce plastic waste by 1.4 million tons each year by Alejandra O'Connell-Domenic of The Hill. All right, we're going to list off the five things first, then we will get into a discussion. So number one is single-use plastic bags. Number two, single-use plastic utensils. Number three, single-use plastic straws. Number four, cigarette filters. And number five, foam food containers. 
by banning those five things in the United States, domestic plastic usage would decrease by about 450 billion pieces. And that's where that 1.4 million tons comes from. This would contribute to cleaner oceans and land ecosystems, be safer for wildlife and eventually humans, since we would all ingest less plastic, and remove about 7 million metric tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. This is the equivalent of removing 1.5 million cars from the road per year. And for context, there's only about 290 million cars on the road. So think about that. So again, that's a, it's a big, like, it doesn't seem like a lot until you think, oh my gosh, that's every single year. Yeah, that's a per year basis. Yeah, along with every other measure that we're taking that's also adding up, like, this is, it's a big deal. Yeah. International coast cleanup data suggests that 70% of items most commonly polluting beaches are not recyclable. And the non-recyclable nature of the five items that we're talking about here is why the Ocean Conservancy suggests an outright ban on them. So uh, the thing that I kind of want to get into more on this is like, if we were to ban these five things, would we miss them? You know, I, I don't think foam food containers are as popular as as we might initially think. It's something where we're used to it. You yeah. know, it's something where it's cheap, but like, does anyone prefer them over, say, aluminum yeah. or paper? Yeah, is anyone like, oh my God, I got a paper box tonight. Like, this sucks. I really wanted that white styrofoam thing that just is nasty and makes all my food super moist and steamy. Yeah, like you can't you can't reheat it, right? And like you can't microwave aluminum, so it's not like we're talking about the easiest thing to reheat, but yeah. To people like I don't usually eat out of styrofoam if I can avoid it. Like if I'm on the go and someone was to hand me a sample of something in a styrofoam container, I would eat it, but like if I ever got takeout and they gave me something in styrofoam, I would take it home and put it on a plate because I just don't want my fork scraping up the styrofoam and then <laughs> eating it by accident. So yeah, I wouldn't miss that. And like single use plastic bags, I, I don't miss those. I-, I don't use them anymore. I haven't used them in God, we're going on probably seven years, eight years that I've, I've always brought my reusable bags. You can carry more in each bag. You know, you're doing less trips to the grocery store from your car into your your house because you're getting more per bag. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I would not miss any of these things. I don't smoke cigarettes, first off. Second of all, um, yeah, I've been off the plastic bags for quite a bit. Plastic utensils are not use, useful when you have, like, reusable wood ones. Uh, yeah. Those are great just to keep them, like, or even just, like, chopsticks. You can eat almost every food with chopsticks. Um, those and then metal straws. Come on, don't be using plastic straws. Bring a metal straw. Um, use a metal straw. Take the drink home with you. Whatever it is. Yeah, and I mean, I have, I have something. Uh, I f- I forget. I think the the brand is Final Straw. I think, uh, and I, I, the reason I'm not positive is because I'm not going to go check because no free ads on this podcast. But except for Nissan Leaf. Yeah, except for the Nissan Leaf. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Final Straw that I have or whatever brand it is it folds up into four little compartments that are held together by rubber on the inside and it fits on a keychain so like there are alternatives and yeah. i know people hate paper straws but you know we could we could switch to other there's plant based plastics that biodegrade quicker there's metal if we want to go the non recyclable route when you go to a bar and you get a mixed drink 
just ask for it without a straw. Like there are, there are ways around this that I think the point that I was trying to get at earlier is like, do we like these things or are we just so used to having them in society that we can't imagine life without them? (laughs) That's exactly it. Yeah. We don't need them at all. We really don't. If they were erased from the earth, no one would miss them. Yeah. It's like the first time you, you go and you're like, oh, I don't want to update my phone. This new phone. Actually, whenever the iPhone got rid of the home button, I remember being like, oh, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm so used to the home button. I like it. Now, yeah. Like, I can't imagine going back because like that's extra screen space that I have when I'm watching videos on my phone or whatever. Like, yeah. Do, do we like them or are we just used to them? Uh, that could be a lesson to a lot of things in life. Hopefully not your partner if you're listening to this. <laughs> Nick and I love ours. We sure do. Thank <laughs> And thank Christ we do, right? Hell yeah. All, All right, right. Let's get into the last one. Let's do it. Our last one of the week is titled Democratic Senator Wants New Taxes on Private Jet Travel by David Shepardson of Reuters. All right, me too. That'll do it for today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey proposed additional taxes on private jet trips to combat the emissions created by the ultra-wealthy traveling. Markey is a Democrat that oversees aviation in the Senate Commerce Committee and said this will call on wealthy travelers to pay their fair share for the environmental and infrastructure costs their private jets require. Any tax revenue generated would go into an environmental trust fund. I love it. Private jets emit roughly 10 times more than commercial flights per passenger, according to the Institute for Policy Studies. Since 2000, private jet use has increased by roughly 133%, so more than doubling in that time. So this kind of goes along with several European nations calling for new taxes on business travel, restricting shorter domestic flights, or introducing tra- uh, or introducing taxes on private jets. Markey's bill would add $0.22 cents per gallon to the current $1.95 per gallon surcharge paid by private jets. Nick, I don't think we need to dive into this too much. You know, not really much that I have to add to this. I think that this is nothing but a good thing if it passes. And I, I think this really combats when, when people who are, are sick and tired of the ultra wealthy in this nation and around the world constantly living a lifestyle that emits more than you and I could ever dream of emitting in terms of greenhouse gases. Yeah. You know, this is the answer where it's like, well, we need to tax the rich more. And then there's that snarky person that's like, Actually, most of their money isn't even in money. It's in stocks. Like, okay, this is how you get them to pay. If we're not going to have them do income tax, get them to pay an extra tax on aviation, on travel. All those things that, you know, it's not all that necessary. Like you can fly coach and you're you're still going to do okay. Yeah, exactly. This is something that's just like, I, I love it. It's, it's something that we should have done like a bunch of years ago. Um, the number one CO2 offender, and I'm going to call her out, Taylor Swift. Get after me, Swifties. Go ahead. I don't care. Um, she flew 22,923 minutes in the air. So I, I love where your head is at because if the Swifties come after us, like number, we will do good numbers. Like they will listen to this just to hate us. And that's, that's <laughs> cool. Like that'll bump up the listenership. I did read the report yeah. on that and- I forget if she said this or like one of her publicists, apparently that's the number for her jet, not for her because she rents out her jet to other people who don't want to own their own. So, cause I was mad at first and I was like, 
Taylor, come on. Like, what what are you doing here? Like, I, I, I like Taylor Swift's music. I think she's a good songwriter. I was like, damn, Taylor, what are you doing? Then I looked into it and it's like, if more rich people do what she does, where it's like, well, I don't need to own my own plane. I could rent it out to 10 other people. And then that's nine planes that are, you know, not being produced and not emitting a ton because if I'm not using my jet, let somebody else use it. Um, I like that idea as much as someone who doesn't think private jets should be a thing can like an idea. <laughs> it's so hard, right? Cause like, I, I want to live in this idealistic world where it's like, you don't need a private jet. I'm sorry. Like you, you don't, but that's unrealistic. So if we're going to have private jets, I like the idea of like a group of 10, it's, it's a shared house, right? It's a, it's a shared house, except with planes. You, you get a jet with 10 of your friends and Hey, does anybody need it next Wednesday? I'm going to, Visit the folks. Yeah, but you know how these celebrities are, though. Like, they're all just so self-absorbed, self-focused. Like, they're always doing stuff and... For status. Exactly. And they'll be like, oh, I really need to be at this tonight or this event or whatever. But, like... And I get why Taylor Swift does it, because she's she's traveling for, you know, concerts and stuff like that. But, honestly, it sounds like I'm backtracking, so screw it. <laughs> we are... We're not going to cancel Tay-Tay uh, as long as the Swifties don't cancel us. But that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back on Monday for August's mini-sode. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. And follow our socials at Planet Today Pod, where we have a new clip from the show dropping today. Unless you're listening to this not on Friday, in which case we had one drop on Friday. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people keep up with your stuff? You can keep up with me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veet. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace.